Hello and welcome to the Christians with Questions podcast. My name is Josh Fultz and I am your host. And each week we take a question and we look at it from a couple different angles, but more importantly, we see what God's Word has to say about it and we form a Christian response. And this week our question is one that's a little bit sensitive. It's not often talked about, at least not in this context. It should be talked about more. But the questioner writes, why is pornography a big deal? Um, if it's wrong, what makes it wrong? And I think this is a great topic to address. It's um, one that honestly needs to be talked about more openly. Um, so I'm happy to jump into it here. When I used to be in private practice, this was one of my specialties, was treating people um, who are addicted to pornography or that had sexual addictions. And so to start off, Let's talk about what is pornography, and this should be pretty self-explanatory, but it's looking at images or videos um, that are intended to um, you know, create a, a sexual response. And of course, pornography is traditionally thought of as being images or videos, but I think we can kind of transcend that a little bit too, because there are certainly you know, stories um, that are pornographic in nature. You know, The Fifty Shades of Grey that came out several years ago, uh, ultimately they made some movies on. Um, There is music that can also be pornographic in nature. That is, you may not be viewing images or videos, but words can create um, images in your mind that are often just as uh, descriptive um, or problematic. And so, certainly we live now in a digital age where pornography is so prevalent. You know, I can think maybe 30 years ago, Um, pornography was nowhere near as accessible. That is to say, if you wanted to view pornography, you had to walk into a bookstore or perhaps a convenience store and you had to actually ask somebody for it and they would have to hand it to you across the counter. And so certainly there was some deterrent there because nobody, or I shouldn't say nobody, a lot of people didn't want um, to be found out that they were viewing pornography. But with cable television, um, that quickly changed things. Uh, A lot of pornography was available late night if you owned cable or satellite TV. Um, And now that we have, you know, when Al Gore, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, invented the internet, um, that opened up a whole new world um, to pornography. And so um, now it's not as though you have to go looking for pornography. Just wait long enough and pornography will find you because it's so available everywhere. Um, and the, the difficult and challenging thing now with pornography is it's, you're able to do it in secret. Uh, you can access as much pornography as you want all day long without ever leaving um, the comfort of your home. And even more than that, if you're in your home and you don't want other people to know, you can access it on a smartphone. Uh, so it's incredibly, incredibly available. Now, what I'd like to do is look at uh, some statistics related to pornography, and honestly, it is easy to get overwhelmed and just lost in the unbelievable amount of statistics. Uh, And I'm just going to share some with you because I really think the statistics paint the picture here. Uh, Let me start off here, and this is from an article on Christianity.com. It says nearly 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. Um, the average view, visit lasts 6 minutes and 29 seconds. 
and with 55% of married men and 25% of married women saying they watch porn at least once a month. Uh, 47% of families in the United States reported pornography in their home. Now, and this one's interesting too, as far as why pornography is a problem, and we're going to get into that more in a minute, but I'm going to go ahead and share the statistic. Pornography increases the infidelity rate by 300%. Let me say it again. Pornography increases the infidelity rate by 300%. And so for any married person that tells me their pornography is not a problem, that statistic along makes that statement laughable. 56% of divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in porn. And here's some sad news. Now 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to pornography, with 94% of children saying they've seen pornography by the age of 14. And so if you have a child, an adolescent, I think it's probably safe to assume that at some point they have already been exposed to pornography in some form or some fashion. And of course, the, you know, the porn industry is big, big money. Um, in 2006, the sex-related entertainment business estimated revenues were just under $13 billion in the United States. Um, in 2007, global porn revenues were estimated to be at $20 billion, with again, $10 billion of those in the United States. Uh, so you can see it's a massive problem, and it is big money. Uh, This is from Donna Rice-Hughes. She says, online pornography is the first consistently successful e-commerce product. And so it is. It is a massive billion-dollar industry. Uh, In 2008, the company Hitwise cataloged 40,634 websites that distributed pornography. Uh, And so it's so readily available. Free websites comprise 70 to 80% of the adult material online typically used as bait for pay websites, but you can access so much of the material for free. It's not like, you know, if if somebody wants to view pornography, they have to have a subscription or pay. Now, there is a more than you could ever access for free online. Another statistic, a conservative estimate places 32% of adult membership websites and 58% percent of free adult websites outside the United States. So it's not just a, a problem within the United States. This is a, a worldwide pandemic, I would say. Uh, 28,258 users are watching pornography every second. And roughly around a little over $3,000 is spent on porn every second on the internet. So every second that goes by throughout the day, $3,000 is spent each second. Uh, 40 million Americans regularly visit porn sites, and 35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. Uh, that is just unbelievable. And now, Pornhub the, world, Pornhub, the world's most popular porn website, reports that in, uh, reports that in 2017, there were 28.5 billion annual visits to the website, 81 million daily average visits. 25 billion searched uh, 25 billion searches performed 50,000 searches per minute 800 searches a second um, four mil- over four million videos uploaded and 68 years worth of content uploaded in 2017 uh, that is 3732 3, pentabytes of information transferred that's enough to fill the memory of every iPhone on earth. 
And so you can see, and, and now with you know so many so many more revenues to create and uh, dispense pornography, um, OnlyFans is a, a, a new. Uh, a reasonably new website where pornography is, is monetized just from you know the the ease of your home and so it's really we're in an unbelievable place when it comes to I'm gonna say again the epidemic of pornography a few more statistics 55% uh, of men say they watch porn at least once a month compared to 70% of unmarried men and that is an alarming statistic. So over one out of two of married men and nearly two out of three unmarried men access pornography at least once a month. And this may come as a surprise to you. Maybe it won't. But 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month compared to 16% of unmarried women. This is a problem that was, you know, used to be thought of as a strictly male problem, but research shows that that's not the case. Um, one out of four married women access porn at least once a month as well. According to a survey by the Barna Group in 2016 of 3,000 respondents, 90% of teens and 96% of young adults are either encouraging, accepting, or neutral when they talk about porn with their friends. Uh, so a very um, a casual attitude, an accepting attitude even, um, toward pornography. Uh, no wonder that it's reached the epidemic that it is. And for us as Christians, we should note this as well, because this is alarming. One out of five youth pastors and one out of seven senior pastors use porn on a regular basis and are currently struggling. Um, that's more than 50,000 U.S. church leaders. 43% uh, of senior pastors and youth pastors say they've struggled with pornography in the past. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. And only 7% of pastors report their church has a ministry program for those struggling with porn. And that should tell us this, that one, this isn't talked about very often at all. And two, that it's, you know, as far as working with people to meet this um, need, this problem um, that's prevalent in our culture, I think the Christian church is doing a lousy job of dealing with it. And I get it. It's a taboo. It's a taboo topic. People don't want necessarily to talk about these issues, but they need to be discussed. Now, you know, when we talk about pornography, and we've looked at a lot of statistics, um, but when we talk about pornography um, and sexual addiction, uh, you can't use them in the same way. Uh, a person can view pornography without being a, a sexual addict. Um, but I find that that is the minority, honestly. I find that most people who have a consistent relationship with pornography are addicted um, to pornography or to sex in general. And so it's, it's certainly an alarming um, problem that we find ourselves in. And let me share a quote with you here by C.S. Lewis, and I think he really captures it well. He says, you can get a large audience together for a striptease act, that is, to watch a girl undress on the stage. Now, suppose you came to a country where you could fill a theater by simply bringing a covered plate on the stage and then slowly lifting the cover so as to let everyone see, just before the lights went out, that it contained a mutton chop or a bit of bacon. Would you not think that that country, that in that country something had gone wrong with the appetite for food? And would, you, and would not anyone who had grown up in a different world think that there was something equally queer about the state of the sex instinct among us? 
we are a culture, Western civilization is a culture that has an overwhelming problem with sex and sexuality. And we are paying a lot of consequences for that obsession with sex. Now, let's talk about this. Why is pornography a big deal? Why is it a problem? I mean, why can't we just, you know, watch this, these images and these videos and expect, you know, life just to go on as normal? Well, for one, we need to talk about the addictive nature of pornography. Um, both, um, you know, sort of emotionally, psychologically, and biologically. Um, sex is certainly ingrained into who we are as people. It's a, a part of our biology. It's how we, you know, propagate the species, of course. Um, but also there is something sacred about it as well. You know, Christianity teaches um, that a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves into his wife, and the two become one. That is, they become a union. Um, there is something sacred about that, um, both in their relationship and in their sexuality. Uh, but where we are in our society with sexuality and pornography and, and sexual addiction is the reason we are, are seeing th this epidemic is because it is addictive. Um, Patrick Carnes, who really wrote the, um, the Bible, the textbook, so to speak, on sexual addiction, he notes that sexual addiction is more addicting than illicit drugs um, and more addicting than you know having a hard drug problem. Um, because it is very psychological and emotional, it meets a basic need that people have, um, and and so it's ingrained through repetition, repetition, repetition. But then there's also the biological aspect of that as well. That when you view pornography, and generally people, you know, engage in further acts past pornography. Try to keep this G-rated here. Um, but when these acts are done over and over and over, it, it creates this deeply ingrained behavioral ritual. And, um, and your brain and your body chemistry respond to that. And so for people that view pornography on a consistent basis, um, their, you know, their brains are rewired. The neurons are rewired to continually receive this, this wonderful burst of chemicals every time they view pornography or engage in, in certain acts and rituals. And so when the brain gets to a place where it's used to this, every day your brain is pressuring you to say, hey, give me, give me the good stuff. Like, you know, if you wake up every day and you eat, my favorite is cheesecake, my favorite dessert. If I wake up every day and eat a cheesecake and my body gets used to that, well, every day my body's going to be like, yo, dude, where's our cheesecake at? And so think of that, but way more strong and way more ingrained through the use of, of pornography. And so it's a biological, it's a social, it's a psychological and emotional problem. Uh, now, we've touched on this some before, uh, the problems that show up in relationships when we looked at some of the statistics um, that, you know, 300% more likely to commit infidelity um, if someone is a, a, a consistent user of pornography. But I also believe that this breeds discontent in marriage. So you've got, you know, a married couple and one or both of them are watching pornography. Um, pornography is so produced. It's so every... Every problem is touched up in Photoshop. Everybody has bodies that, you know, the average person will never even aspire to. And what goes on in, in sexual films is not the norm. It creates unhealthy fantasies. It breeds discontentment in marriage. And so you have people with expectations that are never going to get fulfilled and, and met. And so they s begin to assume that, well, maybe their marriage isn't what other marriages are. Um, and so it, I think it creates unhealthy body images, not just for women, but for men. Uh, and so you can see where this is a problem in, in marriages. And of course, there's the issue of trust. 
you know, if you're if you're a woman and your spouse is looking at pornography, um, you rightly feel betrayed, and vice versa as well. And so, it might not be infidelity in the way that many would classify it, but certainly it is infidelity because Scripture says, if a man lusts after a woman in his heart, he has committed adultery. And so, it's no wonder why this affects so many marriages. Uh, again, it's an epidemic. Uh, it also leads to isolation uh, because you're getting, for somebody that's a consistent user of pornography, they are getting many of their needs met through a screen and not a person. Um, you know, part of God's intended design for sexuality is to create two people to become one. And that can't happen if your relationship is with images or a screen. And so it leads to isolation and it also leads to guilt. I know. I have worked with so many people trying to eradicate pornography out of their lives. And for so many of them, it's an incredibly long road. And there's this constant, ever-present sense of guilt in their lives. They want to be past it, and they just feel like they can't get out of its clutches. And so they do. They feel consistently guilty. They'll ask God to forgive them. They'll do good for a while, but they're, they're sort of born into this cycle of viewing pornography, feeling horrible and guilty about it, saying, I'm never going to do that again, and trying to seek out help for that. And then in a moment of weakness, they begin this cycle all over again. And this is a, a well-documented cycle for those who've worked um, with, with people in sexual addiction. And so for many, it leads to leaving a, leading a secret life. You know, They show up to church on Sundays or to their jobs, but at home in their private life, nobody else knows. They have this ongoing, and for some people, um, it's a consistent and somewhat graphic struggle because that's the nature of pornography. You know, pornography may start off with, you know, what people might call soft porn and viewing images of people just scantily dressed or whatever. But it's just like anything else. The more you view something, you satiate to that. And you want something more. You want something more graphic. It's the same way with substance abuse. You might start off with using a certain substance, but eventually your body satiates to that. You, you develop a tolerance, and it takes something more to get you feeling a certain way. Well, it's the same thing with pornography. Um, you, you certainly build a tolerance. And so people that are you know enmeshed in pornography for years and years and years and years, they often develop an appetite for things that they would have originally thought were appalling or, or horrific. And so you have many people that live this double life. And anytime we're not consistent, we, we have this sense of guilt and shame. And I, and I have seen that a lot. And also, certainly, it impacts your relationship with God because it's a sin just like anything else. And for so many people, they want to be off of this merry-go-round. They want to ride the stop because they feel this sense of guilt um, and shame, and rightly so, in their relationship with God. And it's this ongoing struggle of feeling like a disappointment because you can't break out of this, this cycle. And, and of course, um, you know, for some people, it inhibits their, their normal daily functioning. I've worked with uh, sexual addicts and people addicted to pornography that could not live a normal life and go to work and function normally because of this obsessive habit. Um, and you know that's not to say that everybody gets there, but certainly a percentage of the population does. It interferes with their relationship. It interferes with their, their waking daily life, their work schedule, and that's uh, a bad place to be. And it also strips the meaningful nature of, of sex away. It becomes, like we spoke of a minute ago, 
where one person has a relationship with a screen and you know their their desires their fantasies their needs are always met through that um, they don't have to you know give anything it's it turns everything into a me-centered relationship and it's it's no wonder that they struggle to have meaningful relationship with other people because so much of um, their needs are met this way and so it really distorts and strips away the, the meaningful aspect of sex which is to you know bring two people close together um, that care about each other and so we've looked at you know what pornography is we've looked at some of the statistics and again the, we have just scratched the surface on statistics i wanted to give you some of the high points we've looked at why it's a problem but let's look at a little bit of a, a solution here uh, what should we do about pornography and so i'm going to kind of speak to people that fall into different categories and so if you are a parent um, I think this is some amazing information for you. Now, obviously, as parents, it doesn't make us happy to hear this, but we have to deal with what is. We have to embrace reality for what it is. But if you have an adolescent, odds are they've already been exposed to pornography in some way, or I can guarantee you at the very least they've had a conversation about pornography. And so I think for us as parents, we need to be parents. We don't need to be parents that you know put our head in the sand and you know think, well, oh, that can never happen to my kid because... I know better. I've worked with a ton of adolescents whose parents thought the same thing. Well, my kids wouldn't, they're, they're not going to be interested in that. And it's just not the truth because they're coming into an age where they're growing up. Hormones are kicking in full blast. There's curiosity there. There's peers. There's so many factors. There's the availability of it that make all of this the perfect storm. So don't assume that your kid would, has never been exposed or would never engage in the use of pornography. I think it's a really naive position to take. And so take precautions. Uh, one thing I will not do with my kids is turn them loose with technology where I can't know what they're accessing or what they're seeing. Now, again, there's always a workaround, too. So even if you have the very best guards on your computers and phones, there's always a way to work around it. And I know that, again, because I've worked with a lot of people that use pornography consistently, students and adults alike. I've even had adults that put every boundary in place, but in moments moments of weakness, they would access pornography through some very crazy loopholes whether that was getting on amazon and looking for books that your that your blocker wouldn't um, cycle through um, so many creative ways to get around it so i think as parents we need to know that information uh, and so i think we also have to have conversations with our kids about this stuff um, with my son who is nine we've had some conversations about things and i just don't make it awkward i just talk to him like i'm talking to a good friend and you know i keep it age appropriate obviously but I want him to feel like he can come talk to me without feeling embarrassed or awkward about it. And I know when you talk to your parents about certain things, um, there there is a, you know a certain amount of awkwardness. But I try to keep that to a minimum. And I think as parents, we have to have these conversations with our students. If you're listening to this and you are an adolescent, um, I think you need to understand the seriousness of this problem because I think it's easy to minimize it and think, meh, what's the big deal? Um, but really, what is at stake here? Well, what's at stake is you potentially developing an addiction that will be unwelcome at some point in your life what else is at stake here well any image that you view is stored in your brain long term like you can't there's no empty the recycling bin here like you can on a computer and pushing all this out every image you see will stay now some of it you may lose awareness of but one day you may be driving on the street and an image you viewed 20 years ago pop into your head and so everything you view now 
will remain in your mind. And that's not something you want. Um, again, going into, if you desire to get married one day, um, and then having this history of all of these images in your mind, I think it's important um, that we know what's at stake. Uh, for you as an adolescent, being comfortable talking to someone, at least one person. And because here's what I know for, for the adolescents listening and, and for the adults, whoever is listening, if you hope to deal with a problem with pornography, you have to talk about it. As long as this remains a secret in your life, you'll never overcome it. I know that. I know that times a million because I have worked with so many people and the only way they overcame it was coming to counseling and then even from then opening up to more people and talking about their struggle. This is one problem you cannot deal with on your own. I know that for a fact. And so if you struggle with this problem, talking to somebody, um, you need to be able to do that. And um, to know that it simply just cannot be beaten alone. And so as an adolescent, you also have to put some boundaries on, in place in your life. There's certain things that you might not be able to do. If uh, being up at 10 o'clock when everybody else is in bed or 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock, whatever, is a temptation for you, well, stay off your cell phone or put your cell phone downstairs or you know, keep the TV off. Um, you know, me as a, as a married man, I know that I'm not above temptation. And so what I do is I put guardrails in my life because I know how many people this problem affects. And so I don't let myself watch TV um, by myself up at night unless I'm very, very careful about what I'm doing. I know that if I were to become involved in something like this, it would mess up my marriage, it would mess up my ministry, it would mess up my relationship with God. And all of those things are incredibly important to me. What about spouses? What should we do? Well, I think, again, there needs to be open dialogue and boundaries. You know, me and my wife are very specific with each other and clear with each other. We have sat down. We sat down when we got married and said, okay, these are the guardrails we're putting up in our relationship, um, both when it comes to things like the topic we're discussing today or how we relate to other men and women. We are very particular about how we handle ourselves. And so I think husbands and wives need to have open conversations about this. And I think it's completely fair for my wife to ask me at any time, how are you doing in this area? And for me to give her a legitimate answer on that. But for husbands and wives where one or both does struggle in this area, I can't overemphasize the need to seek out a professional counselor in this area. Uh, what about the church? What does the church need to do um, when it comes to issues like this? Well, the first one is not be silent. Um, you know, again, only 7% of pastors report that their church has a ministry program for those struggling with porn. I can count on one hand the church services that I've been to um, where pornography was spoken about. Now, yeah, maybe a casual mention here and there, but a sermon directed exactly to this problem is rarely, rarely seen, and it needs to happen because look at the statistics of how many people struggle with this problem. And so churches cannot afford to be silent. I think churches also in, in safe, need to create safe environments where people can talk about their struggles. And I think as Christians, we have to be willing to not condescend and look down on other people because they struggle with this sin or any other sin. Uh, because many people want these things out of their lives, but they simply lack the resources and the environment to be able to do that. And that is a tragedy. So we as, as people of the church need to create an environment um, that people feel comfortable dealing with this problem, whether or not they're not going to be judged or talked about. Now, again, 
we could look at so many passages of Scripture that, that deal and address with the issue of pornography, um, but I'm going to go with one that is tried and true. Um, Matthew 5.28, Jesus says, um, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully um, has already committed adultery with that person in his heart. And so to look lustfully, um, to even look, there is adultery um, in the heart. The Bible said, the Apostle Paul also writes that there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality in our lives. Now think about that. Not even a hint of sexual immorality. Our culture is so saturated um, with sexual immorality that even to think about not even having a hint of sexual immorality seems like such a strange thing to us. But that's what we're called to as Christians. And so Paul does write in Ephesians 5, 5 I'm sorry, Ephesians 5, 3, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. And so for a Christian to think that they can watch pornography and that not be a problem, they clearly have not ever consulted their Bible. But even for those outside of Christianity, we've looked at a host of reasons to stay away from pornography and the problems that it causes. It is a very, very dangerous um, thing to become wrapped up in. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16 to flee from sexual immorality. He says, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And of course, we are a temple. Our bodies are a temple. That's where we worship and meet with God. And so we have to keep it um, you know, in good, pristine condition to be able to glorify God through our bodies, to love God through our bodies. Now again, I know we've talked about a lot. Um, if you say, you know what, I need some more resources in this, there's a couple of great places to go. Um, there is a Covenant Eyes Online, which is a, it's a software for people that struggle with pornography, but they have a host of statistics if you're curious. Also, a great book that I've read recently is called Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy, and she does touch on pornography, but she touches on um, basically all the ways that we love our body. A great resource if you want to check it out, um, and there are, are many, many others. And so the main thing is if we struggle in this area to step out and take some steps, you can't beat this alone. But also to know, if you typically don't struggle in this area, to be warned, any person can slip up at any time. And I've seen it happen a million times. People in leadership, people in ministry that thought they were above this problem that succumbed to it. And so last, I want to leave us on an up note. Here's what we should know. Even if we do struggle here, um, God is a God of hope. God is a God of grace. And God is full of love. And so there is, you know, pornography is not a sin that will separate you from God um, forever. The Bible says all you have to do is repent. And so if we repent, 1 John 1, 9 says that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And so if you are feeling that guilt and shame, the biggest thing that I can tell you to do is have a conversation with God about it. But don't just ask for forgiveness. I mean, you need to do that. Don't get me wrong. But also, don't stop there is what I mean to say. You have to go talk to someone else or you'll never eradicate this problem from your life. The Bible says that we confess our sins one to another. That's how we find true healing. No man can go it alone. You leave sin locked in a dungeon, it will thrive and grow like a mold and a cancer. But bring it up to the light and that's the only place that it will shrink 
and shrivel. And so I hope um, as we end up here today that this has left you encouraged or challenged or giving you something to think about. And so thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you right here again next week on the Christians with Questions podcast.